right, what's up, everybody? It is Amar from the Project Illumination Show. I am here with an amazing friend, and honestly, I don't even know how we met. It's a crazy story, but Ebony Freeman, and she's just like a wonder star is like the word that I, I mean. She describes me as that, but I just want to throw that back at her because she is just such a ball of energy, hope, and one of the things about her is just compassion. Like her, she just has such a good heart. Um, we're excited to just dive in and yeah, talk about her journey working at, you know, going from Emory to Google and just beyond Google, you know, she's so much more than just the job title and where she works. So I'm excited for that. Ebony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Amar. So Ebony, I would just love to know um, what, since, since you were, when we first met, do you want to describe that story when we first met or do you, do you want me to do it? Uh, totally. So I remember I was in my like first year at Google and I had a lot to prove to myself. I felt like, so I was like, and I loved accessibility. So, and then entrepreneurship. So I was like, okay, Boulder startup weekend, let's do it. Let's make it accessibility theme. And then I heard like through the grapevine, there was this really cool guy named Amar and he was at Techstars and I was like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> and then like, uh, I don't even know, how did we connect though? I see, I think you sent out a Google form but I and I filled it out and then no one called me for like two to three weeks like you were asking for volunteers and then I was randomly walking through Whole Foods I don't know why this detail is coming up but I was <laughs> walking through Whole Foods and uh there was an ad with my friend about accessibility and then I got a call from you so it's just weird weird universe thing and yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I remember that because I remember our first call, we didn't know each other. And I remember just spewing <laughs> things at you like, this is all my goals, my all my mission and vision. And you were like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Let's go. And I was like, oh, his energy. Yes, he's here for it. So then um, you were the volunteer. But then at first you were supposed to just be like, you know, handing out cars. And I made you like the manager of a bunch of volunteers. And then you became a judge for the whole event. So you just kind of climbed up really quickly there. Yeah, that was that was a crazy time, and I, the of like the moments leading up to that event, like my heart was just pounding. I'm like, oh god, I'm going to Google. Like, what am I gonna do? How are we gonna do this? And you just had such a beautiful heart there. Like, all right, team, this is what we're gonna do. We're just gonna have fun. We're gonna try to support the founders that are starting off with their ideas, and it was just such a rewarding experience for sure. Oh, I'm so happy we met. <laughs> yeah, for sure, and I like. After, and I remember, so actually you, I had the privilege of going to Google quite a bit after that because we just hung out for lunch and talked entrepreneurship, life, um, and I was sweet. And then you, now Google's like all remote, right? How has that, has, has that been impactful in any way? Like were Google systems set up already for that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I feel like our leadership and our management were really thoughtful about how everything proceeded. I think the toughest part was not getting free food every day. I've done the math. <laughs> it hurts my bank account to not get free food every day. So I'm really ready to go back to the office. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. The food at Google is sweet. I was, I remember you're just like, you grab whatever you want. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Especially like the sandwiches and the ice cream. I was just, I was deep. <laughs> um, so very few people know this about you. And I got the privilege of seeing it on your LinkedIn as well as you just messaged me, but you wrote a book and, yeah, I did. and you started a podcast. So tell me more about all that. Oh, Amar. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wonder stars of the universe. And at first it just started as a joke with my best friend because we realized we were much funnier when we were talking to each other. Like when we talked, like, we make so many good jokes when we talk to other people, it's not always as funny. So we started mm. writing it down. And then eventually I realized I was writing so much that it was not just a few articles. It was really like a chapter that I just kept going and it ended up being like this really nice cathartic, therapeutic, uh, working through some things. And then at the end I was like, okay, I could post it on Medium or I could like sell it. And I was like, I'm going to sell it. And like, it hasn't blown up, but it's also been really nice because um, exactly what you said, people will reach out to me like, oh my gosh, I really like your book or, oh, your podcast. Like, I didn't know that there were hard times in your life. You're so happy. Mm, I thought everything was mm. great. And I'm like, oh no, like life goes up and down, but it's been yeah. nice to connect with people through it. Wow. That, so you and your friend were just messing around and just decided to write one? 
Wow. Yeah, it was like originally going to be titled uh, Leather and Velvet because I really like velvet and she really likes leather. But then we realized that might have some bad connotations in the other world. So we were like, <laughs> let's, like let's change the name entirely. So, <laughs> Wow, that's sweet. So, I mean, I don't know much about velvet. I just got into leatherworking a little bit through a friend. Um, do you do anything with velvet? Oh my gosh, you're so cool, Lamar. Can we like do this and like, let's talk about your leather work. Like, what is this about? Like, no, 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 no. I made one, I made one, I tried making one little pouch to hold a, a coin, a special, really special coin. And it was a really cool experience, but I am not a leather worker, but I'm, I hope to get into it. I want to make my own wallets. Ooh. I think that'll be fun. I think that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you more questions. I know that this is like an interview, so I don't know if I'm allowed to. So like, do you meet the cows? Do you know their names? And like, like, uh... <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, this one's uh, Delilah, you know? Yes. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know any of the cows. No, so I just tried to get into it because one of the things I'm trying to learn to do is like work better with my hands. Because obviously you and I, um, work in tech and it's just using our like keyboard yeah. all the time and so getting that tactile you know just grit in your hands like it feels good you know it's a different change of pace so I don't know I want to get into that stuff but yeah. long way away but back to you <laughs> <laughs> um okay well this is where I always leave it up for interpretation I never know where it's, I'm gonna get from the other person but okay your journey is quite astonishing to me I would just say because when we when we first met you you don't it's not evident that you are someone that is a googler because you don't like to you don't really make that the focus you know you don't you don't when people ask you what you do for work you're like oh I work at a tech company and I love that about you because you're not making it you know centered on this just big brand you're focusing on the human aspect of like I'm just a person right how so let's let's work our way towards that like how you've learned to to do that but I would just love to know like how did you start like you know how did you <laughs> you're at Emory like how did you get into Emory and like was tech a career in tech something you for sure knew like that was it Ooh, oh my gosh that's like a deep question okay so starting from the beginning uh Emory was it was a perfect school for me but I ended up going there almost by accident because I was for sure I was going to go to UCAL Berkeley or at least somewhere across the entire country because I'm from okay. Georgia so I was like I don't want to stay here I have to leave but um I ended up that um oh my gosh what happened yeah my mom was like Ebony let's just check out the campus and I was like mm, all right I have nothing else to do this Saturday and the flowers <laughs> were so beautiful like in the smell of the flowers it mm. envelops you and then like people were smiling and they looked happy with their life and I was like oh my gosh what is this magical place and then she bought me a t-shirt and I love t-shirts <laughs> and I ended up going every <laughs> that's that that's it yeah, I mean, it was a really nice t-shirt. You should check, like, our, our color of blue was a really nice blue. Huh. All right, send me the link. <laughs> send me the link. I have a very similar story. I didn't want to go to state school. I wanted to go somewhere. I want to go to USC for film. And not a lot of people know that. Um, but I wanted to go to USC and then didn't go to USC and then went to see Boulder for a tour one day and I just sat there going, I guess. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll, I'll, try, I'll check it out. Um, Boulder was sweet, but yeah. Okay, so you studied business, you know, I still don't know though. How like, were, was it business like right away or did you switch around? Yeah, so I came in, I came in strongly economics. And then my first day I was like, ah, I think I want to be a chemical engineer. So then I switched all my classes to focus more on science. And then my first chemistry class, like I remember I love learning the theory, but the practice was really tough for me. And even now I still love reading hard sci-fi where anything they're like getting into deep physics. I'm like, yes, give me more. But if you like throw me in a lab, I'll just be like, eh. So um, then I moved out of the sciences and into, or the hard sciences and anthropology and then from anthropology to interdisciplinary studies, interdisciplinary studies to like, hmm, I don't know if I'm gonna graduate. I think I might just go be a yoga teacher. And then my mom was like, <laughs> sure, me. Totally. And like, I love that my parents didn't question me. Neither of them were pressing me. They were just like, yeah, go try it. And I was like, 
they're too calm about this. So then I decided to like keep going to school. And then I um, ended up going to business school because I was like, I like it when things are efficient and things, I know where things are headed. And I like, I still like interdisciplinary things. So, and I felt like business combined so many elements of the quantitative, qualitative and the human experience. Well, so I, I definitely hear you on the efficient side, efficiency side, but I love that your parents didn't question you. But like, that's where I want to like, I know that you, you like you can focus, someone can sit here and like, this is not a business podcast, everyone. But so, like, like the fact that you had the support of parents is so sweet because I think that allows anyone, you know, in that journey, like the journeying, exploring stage, just having that assurance of like the people that you care about deep and that care deeply about you. They're just like, go try uh, and, and, and see what can happen. And who would have thought you would have like ended up where you are today? Yeah, I feel so, like a little bit, they were just like laughing at me on the side and they just didn't tell me, which I, I don't know if that's the best yeah. possible parenting or the worst possible, we won't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to, but that's funny. Well, okay, so we're, when you were, so we recently talked about Emory and I don't know too much about the culture. I had one friend that went there, um, but I would just love to hear, were there a few things or tricks or tips that you can share to people maybe going into college, but that helped you when you were like doing all that discovery to like find community on campus? Or did you start any of your own initiatives that led to, you know, really cool friendships too? Oh, yeah. Um, so tips for success in college, kind of? Yeah, that'd be in great. Community. Um, yeah, so I'd say, for building community, uh, freshman year, take it, like, don't try and be too cool. I feel like I saw people who were trying to be super cool, and I, I was, like, the complete opposite. Everyone was like, you know what? She's not cool, and she owns it. Like, <laughs> that was my entire thing. So, like, I'd come up to someone, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I love your shirt. Want to go shopping with me? And, like, 70% of the time, I was like, oh, no, Ebony, I don't know you. I'm going to leave now. But, like, that 30%, some of them I still hang out with. So, just, like, be completely yourself, and mm. also, like, I, some of my favorite clubs were jujitsu, which I had never done. I had done karate when I was five and then I had stopped until college. And that's the next time I did mar martial arts. And then I also really like science, art, wonder, which I, like I said, I mentioned, I like science, but not the practical part. So this was a bunch of people who practiced the practical part. And I was like, let's see how it goes. So I think it was just like open and curiosity about anything and everything and just a receptive spirit to whatever life had to offer you on campus. Mm. You did jiu-jitsu? I loved it. I remember one time this guy, he was so like, he was so like nice and kind and everything. And then he slapped me in the face with his foot during oh one of our his, his foot went across my face so hard. But then after that, I knew I was tough enough to handle anything. Like ever since then, anytime I have a really bad moment, I just remember that time a dude who like looked like such a nice, Amar, you look like a nice guy too. Don't hit me with your foot. Like anytime I'm like, <laughs> Any, and now I'm always just like on the ready. Like anything can happen at any moment. Oh my gosh, that's intense. <laughs> but that, I mean, I, I, I'm glad that it taught you that, you know, and you can look back on it. That's intense. Okay, I know we, we have been in a lot of social circles that have like overlapped, but when did the, so you made it through Emory, you're telling people, hey, um, do you want to go shopping with me? I mean, then you get slapped in the foot with, like by a jiu-jitsu training. And science art wonder, you, you know, you're tapping into curiosity. And I, I, this is where I'm like, so always been curious. Where did the, the desire to like learn more about accessibility come from? I mean, obviously accessibility is a huge issue in the world, um, but business to me just seems very isolated from that topic. So how were you exposed to that? Yeah, totally. Well, um, I have a like a it's a sad joke. Like my body's been trying to kill me since I was born. So like mm. I had asthma, eczema, and then I was diagnosed with lupus at 16 and fibromyalgia at like 22. So I've just had a lot of disabilities across my life. And yeah. um, freshman year of college, I actually woke up one day and like my legs wouldn't work because I had so many musculoskeletal challenges. And I think that really that day still kind of sticks with me because I remember I was rushing to class or I was thinking about rushing to class and I literally couldn't get up. And it was this moment mm. of, you can have all these plans for your life, but without the ability to fulfill them, you're just kind of sitting there, you know, you're kind of sitting in what can be angst or um, sadness. 
And so I feel like accessibility came to me through not only my personal experience, but just that realization that, you know, the next day I was able to walk again, thank God and everything. But nonetheless, there are people who wake up the next day and they still can't walk. And we have this world that's built for the normal person and the average person, but no one's normal and no one's average. So if I can work in accessibility and make it so anyone who's waking up one day with something gone or something there that wasn't there before, they know they can still live a fulfilling life and that people are there to support them. Wow. I mean, I think you answered the legacy question, <laughs> um, but Ebony, that's insane. I did not know that. I, I, um, there was when I was younger, this is not in, in similar. I think it's a little similar, but it's not as severe. Like I woke up with one, both of my ears. I wasn't able to hear for like maybe a few hours, but I just, my life turned upside down in that moment. Right. Um, but I can only imagine what it's like to not walk. And then all the struggles you've been through uh, on the health side. So that's, that's rough. Um, how, you know, many people don't get a chance to experience that stuff. How, what's a way to build empathy mm. with, because you can do it through user research. You can do it through conversations. And I guess I'm thinking like, what's the practical, right? Not all of us work in tech, you know, and we, some of us have friends and friend groups. I, I know, I, I know I do um, that aren't as enabled, like, you know, enabled in terms of their physical ability. And so I have to be very cautious sometimes when I hang out with them about what restaurant we go to because they're not able to sit sometimes or, and I know we have ADA codes now, like in America, and that's like starting to become more rampant or yeah. Yeah. I think so. That's the word. And yeah, just talk me through that. Like what, what's the way that you, you've built empathy. I mean, you've experienced it. So. Yeah. Dang. That's deep. Ramar. You're going deep. All right. Um, so I just think- <laughs> So I'd say one thing that's definitely top of mind for me is um, just remembering that it's not just empathy and sympathy for others, but also empathy for different versions of yourself, because 25% Mm. of people in the world have a disability. And just like we discussed, like, you can wake up and be part of that group, not expecting it. So it's not just empathy for others. It's also empathy for different versions of yourself. And, you know, a version of yourself that might be on its way and you want to help build a world for not only yourself, but yeah, for yourself as well. But then for building empathy for others, I'd say one of the biggest aspects are, hmm, I think disability is interesting because unlike certain things like gender and sexuality and race, where it's like, okay, this is a bucket. You can move in and out of the disability bucket. You're not living there at um, for an extended amount of time necessarily, not everyone. Mm. So I think it's also just accepting people where they are. So for example, yeah. if someone says, hey, I'm really nauseous today. That could actually be related to Crohn's disease or some other disability. And just yeah. accepting that the people around you who are facing challenges, maybe it's a disability, maybe it's not, but nonetheless, anyone who's facing any challenges physically or mentally, emotionally around you, having empathy for them first can help you build the necessary empathy for those next steps. That's awesome. That's great. That's great advice. So what would you say? Um, I'm cheating here, but I, uh, I, I looked at your LinkedIn before the podcast and a few weeks before when I was writing up these questions, I would just love to know, okay, so went on through all that. How did you start Ability Enabled? Like that was a company that you started. Um, tell me about that. And then also, you know, why you're not continuing that right you're not still working with through that so what happened yeah <laughs> what happened yeah i mean well yeah i'd love to know yeah because you know what did you even learn through the failure right um that'd be super sweet totally totally um so yeah i started ability enabled in 2017 after i interned at a really large tech company we won't mention names um and it was filled with very nice people And in my first few weeks, I recognized that my disability was impacting my productivity. So Mm. I reached out and they are known to be such a, you know, kind, nice company. But more than that, we have legal requirements around disability, accessibility, inclusion. So I said, oh my gosh, you know, I would like to have a disability accommodation. And I had three different people take three weeks and more than 30 emails to get from accommodation requested to accommodation received. And I'd say my internship was only 12 weeks. So you can kind of do the math on how many lost weeks of productivity. And 
I remember the toughest part was that everyone was so nice. Like it wasn't a, like, oh, I'm, I'm don't care about your issues or, oh, I, I don't want to be involved in anything around that. It's like, no, these are genuinely nice people who didn't know how to help. So I realized that accessibility, oftentimes we talk about the accommodations and building new technologies and everything, but sometimes it's just the basic understanding of how to help someone. So I started Ability Enabled after I finished my internship, I went back to school and Emory has this amazing hackathon every October. And Sorry. it's so, okay, go to a, anyone who's watching or listening, go to a hackathon, they're awesome. Um, and I went to that hackathon and they were like, okay, you need a team to come in with. And I just started again, I just went around campus and I saw this, my, my favorite, one of my favorite humans on the earth, her name is Zhao Han Amanda Lee. She's an investment banking analyst at Jefferies right now in New York. But um, I saw her, just standing at the lunch counter and she looked like a professor and I thought oh a professor could maybe help me with my solution and, so I <laughs> her and I was like hi my name's Ebony and she was like like she just like it was like very quiet didn't really give any energy and I was like what's your name and like I, like I forced her to talk with me a little bit and then at the end I was like so what do you teach and she was like I'm a freshman and I was like oh my gosh and so I knew her energy was so serious I was like I need someone like that to balance out my hype and she ended up being my uh, one of my co-founders and we started Ability Enabled, which was aiming to create more inclusive working environments for disabilities through a software as a service product for, that allowed for the discovery um, request and distribution of disability accommodations. And we did the schematics. We actually won some hackathon competitions some pitch competitions, got some grants. It was a good time. Wow. Um, and we started to build the product, but over time we realized that, and this is one of those challenging bits where I completely recognized I didn't have the steal the deal sales skills that I needed. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a lot of people who say they're interested in accessibility, but when it's time to write a check, they're like, ah, we just don't have it in the budget this quarter. And I come back next quarter, ah, we don't have it in the budget this quarter either. And you just, you start to hear that enough times that you realize that until someone has a forcing function requiring them, they're not necessarily going to take, not everyone's going to necessarily take that step. So we pivoted to um, move towards creating a guidebook for industry specialists, not only um, in HR, but also product managers and um, legal specialists and accountants, anyone in the company who wants to make the world a better place. And yeah. so we're able to distribute it. And now a lot of more people know about accessibility from the business side. And yeah, it's a good time. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it sounds that you kind of shifted into a more scalable model, right? Uh, with the books and people, it's self-service more because it's people who actually care that are already working in places that, you know what, this is a, a guide I can, I can purchase and I can use to actually make change here. It's funny you brought up um, when it comes, push comes to shove or like the money stuff. I feel that's very similar when it comes to diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion, like a lot of those committees and companies say they want to at least you know in this limited experience I have and then the when it comes time to like put resources behind it it's just very drag feet so did that impact your team like when you were you know I'm sure that you guys are you know scrappy and you're like saying all right guys I'm gonna go get a grant or I'm gonna go get this check on Friday um and then you don't come back with that check did that impact your team's morale and in any way yeah, totally. Amar, the toughest questions. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I think momentum was definitely a huge part of making sure my team kept morale up. I think that was also where I began to understand my different strengths and weakness mm. areas. And I did like, a, like I did eight SWOT analysis in eight weeks. Like it was a lot. Um, SWOT stands for strength, weakness, opportunity, threat analysis. And I just kept trying to better understand how I could be the best leader possible through challenging times. And I think wow. that's why now I love a good crisis. Like I don't, you know, we don't try and start them, but when it happens, I'm more calm and I like being the level-headed person in a group. And so it, it's helped me um, also in my work, my full-time work at Google as well. But then also because exactly what you said, there were so many days where I had to come back saying, like, I remember we applied for Y Combinator and we didn't get it. And that's a really mm -hmm. big accelerator. And then um, they told us like, go ahead and apply again. I was like, ah, I felt so demoralized. It was like, I don't know if I wanna apply again. But I think um, having to deal with that over, that rejection regularly, it just made me so much stronger. And now 
I mentor um, startup founders at CU Boulder's Venture Partners Program. And I'm able to help those founders so much more than if I had just been like in this bubble saying, oh my gosh, the world was against me. That I did everything perfect. It was just everyone else who was wrong. It was like, no, there were so many things that I learned that I could have done better and I can help others avoid those same mistakes. That's awesome. Well, I, I think to sum up what you just said is you develop resilience. And this is like one of the like early mistakes I see a lot of founders make is that they don't have time in the space. I mean, I'm even struggling with that. Like I have like a few things already falling apart in my own world. I'm just going, I'm just going to give up. <laughs> but it's funny because I'm the one that's sometimes, you know, in the position of mentoring other founders and maybe they've only spent a year or two and I'm going, that's not enough time of failure, you know? Um, and when you get rejected, it's hard, especially from accelerators. We've been, I've been on both sides. I've been on the applicant side and I've been on the other side of the table. So I totally understand the emotions around that. So I think we focused a lot on like the professional and like how you've gotten there. Like, let's like have a little fun, like to see the playful side. And so I just want to ask is, you know, obviously doing a ton of work in accessibility. What would you say? And I'll ask everyone this, but like, what would you say is your current art? And it doesn't have to be a, a traditional art, you know, maybe if it's not painting or drawing or dancing, it's okay. Um, well, but what, how would you answer that? Ooh. My quarantine art was definitely baking. I got a little excessive. I started with bread and then I moved to banana bread. Then I started making uh, some very industrious pies and it, it just went a little off the rails there. Um, now I still really enjoy cooking and uh, learning how to use different spices, especially because um, I think both of us have very diverse friend groups. So totally. from all over. So like anytime I find out, like one of my friends will be like, oh, my mom always uses this spice. I'm like, okay, spell it for me. I'm going to go find it. And then I use it the first time and it's terrible. It's disgusting. I have to throw it away immediately. But the second time it's a little better. And I just kind of learn how to cook uh, globally, global cuisine, cuisines. That's awesome. What, when you said industrious pies, like what is an example of an industrious pie? Okay. So I had a little much time, too much time on a Saturday and I, made this like apple pie from the New York Times and it required like three hours of cutting apples uh because I'm not I, I'm old school I don't like anything that's not like a knife a spoon or a fork like I don't want to get too crazy with it so I like cut apples individually and then I submitted it to a competition at work and I end up winning the baking competition for Boulder Googlers so that was pretty <laughs> But it was, it was a little exciting. Like, and then people were like, oh my gosh, how much time that taken out? And I was like, five hours. And they were like, oh yeah, you should have won. I guess, yeah, no, I was not that deep. And I was like, oh. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. I mean, I, so I've never done any baking in my life. It's something that I've always would have loved to have done. Um, but I think, it, again, back to, it's just so manual, right? You have to be patient. You have to use your hands to knead the dough. I'm yeah. making up stuff for words right now. But <laughs> you, know, you have to go through that process. I, I think the one thing I've baked ever was um, a frozen pizza. Like that was, that's it. I have never baked anything in my life. Okay, so I'm, I'm really decent at teaching people how to make challah bread. Um, which is like a Jewish ceremonial bread. So if you ever want to come over and make challah, like, come on, dude, we can do it. We can get you out of the- I love that. And like into like bread. Is, uh, is that the bread that they eat at Shabbat? Yes, good for you. Okay, sweet. <laughs> yeah, guessing, <laughs> but sweet. Um, oh my gosh. Well, I just want to talk about baking now, I feel like. So how did you, like, you're- Baking is sweet. Quarantine has been hard. Is there like something you have done for yourself and especially like younger people? I know it's mental health awareness month um, and you don't have to go into that if you don't want to totally. Okay. I would just love to know like, what are ways that you found that are practical to like create balance in your life, especially you work at a really demanding workplace. Um, yeah. How, how has that been for you? Yeah, it's been trash. I'm really bad at it. Like, uh, mm. not gonna, <laughs> that's the, that's the least inspirational part of this. It's like, yeah, but that's been, raw. I think that's real. Yeah. yeah. Like I've been working at it for 24 years and I've not succeeded yet. Like I, mm. I'm kind of a zero one kind of person where I go hard for 95% of the time. I give 105% of my effort. 
and then I go into a vegetative state and like I just lay in my bed for mm, 48 hours or so and it's nice but it's also it's not sustainable and I'm aware of that and I think it's one of those things where a willingness to change versus a want to change like I want to change but I don't know if I have the willingness to to make the necessary changes in my life so that if anyone has tips email Lamar and he'll pass them along <laughs> I would love to do that yeah well I, I okay so you said trash and I that's like a really honest answer I appreciate you saying that what like what do you think has been like the common trend there for you um you know you said yeah I'd love to know that why do you think it's trash mm. I think there's, I think it's definitely a mix of nature and nurture. Like mm. there's definitely the hustle grind culture of, you know, in general millennials, but also specifically people of color and yeah. people who, you know, are always like, let's strive for the next class up. And it's like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Snowpiercer. That sounds really familiar. It's a really good movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like they're always trying to move up to the next class. And I feel like that kind of mindset definitely influences like anytime I'm resting I almost wonder what should I be doing like am I allowed mm. to do this and I think there's also like the that's the nature or the yeah the nature side I think then ah, I will say nature nurture all the same but I think my my parents are also very much so like we're gonna get at it and like um I never really saw them slow down so I think it's hard mm. I don't have a mental image of what someone who's successful in quotation marks looks like when they're slowing down and especially um since our culture we're in mental health awareness month but nonetheless we still see the Instagram posts and the Facebook likes for oh my gosh I just worked 46 hours straight and I think I am still trying to fight against all these different elements and I don't know if I'm winning the battle yet but I'm aware that the battle is happening which i think is progress because in the past i didn't i don't know if i was aware it was even there yeah i i learned a new um word recently it's called languishing my buddy because i was telling him um very similar to you i have a problem to shut down and a lot of friends have said that amar you never shut down like i've never seen just the fun amar and it's hard for me because i think one of those guys like even when you go on vacation somewhere i'm going I'd rather be working because I just feel like I'm falling behind because I, my parents, um, it sounds very similar to yours. Just, you know, they're just trying to make it, trying to like get things together, trying to help us have a better future. And that work ethic rubs off. And it's, I don't know if it's operating from a place of scarcity for you, but for me, that was like primarily, it's always been primarily drive. Just like, even though I know I'm working, I'm doing okay. My needs are going to be God's has provided. I'm still going. Yeah. oh no I gotta keep going I'm doing this, this, da, 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 da. and yeah you and I both work like our our social circles are extremely on social media and so when I see a big win for them I'm trying to shift into a posture of oh no they beat me to it to more of let's celebrate them like how do we how do we celebrate them so yeah that's that's definitely been uh an interesting season but I love that you brought that up because that's something I'm working through as well yeah and I think it's interesting you brought up the thing about scarcity I think we've talked about this once before of like I think there's two types of scarcity like there's one that's like I don't want to I don't want to say it's real but it's like real scarcity like there's yeah. a sincere lack there's also like mental scarcity of like in my head if I stop I won't have totally. enough but actually if I look around there's food there's running water there's electricity I have the basics but in my head all of that could disappear if I stop yeah. and I think that a lot of mine at this point um is mental scarcity and I think that that um, has its own challenges. And I don't know if it's as well documented. I don't know if it's as, uh, there's as much of a movement around helping with that. But I also, I don't know, maybe that's another accessibility topic I have to hop into. That'd be sweet if there's, you know, I don't know. Um, they, what's the publish, uh, the book they publish every year on like new psychological and. Yeah. I forgot what the name of it's called. American Psychological Association, their journal. APA? Is it that? It might be that. That sounds. That sounds right. Yeah, maybe that's in there. I'd have to dig around. True. <laughs> True. But okay, so Ebony, this has been sweet. So I would love to know this. Um, what for you, like, was something? Because we both talk about like the mental side. What's like a mental hurdle you had to overcome 
like where you work today um like did you ever have imposter syndrome kind of going into this like place or did you just from day one I earned it I got it I'm good <laughs> like was it like uh did it feel like that for you yeah no I think imposter syndrome is super interesting I think it's totally valid and it definitely happens for a lot mm. of people but I'd say I've never had it at work and I think unfortunately sometimes like anytime uh, women of color, specifically black women have trouble. They're sure. just like, oh, you must have imposters. And I'm like, ah, wow. that's not the only thing that exists in the world. And I think more than anything, probably a bigger mental hurdle that I faced was separating my value as a human from my value as a worker bee. And mm -hmm. I think there are times where even though I recognized I was a cog in the wheel, I wanted to help the wheel spin as fast as it could. So I put yep. in for hours and I and I think um, for quite a while I was hourly. So like every additional hour actually meant more for my paycheck. So I was like, oh my gosh, if I just work more and more and more, I'll have more money and then I'll have more happiness. And it's like, those two are not equated. Just like um, working more doesn't equate to being a better person. So just really truly drawing that line. I think, unfortunately, God works in mysterious ways, but I yeah, had a really does. bad car accident. Yeah, so <laughs> hallelujah. But um, I had a really bad car accident last September and it was so bad that it took me out of work for a long time. And I've, oh. I've never like since... The summer between, I want to say, second grade and third grade, every single summer since then I've worked. So like, that's like, my life has been school, work, school, work, and then work, 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 work. So I literally haven't taken a break since I was like a child. And so it was terrifying. I was like, who am I without my job? And that's a scary thing yeah. when you actually take the time to ask that. And I don't know if I have the full answer yet, but like meditation and mindfulness practices and those kind of things are helping me define who I actually am versus who I'm told I should be yeah and I think you and I talked about this it's that that journey of doing that it's it's a it's a decade-long process the process it's not hey in two months you go to some meditation camp and I'm good to go yeah. like separating your workplace from your from your identity and your inherent value is just it, it takes so much time to cultivate that I want to hone on something you said you said you've been working since second grade what does that mean <laughs> like a lemonade stand or like literally uh, a job like helping with family oh lol so okay it's like <laughs> so i've been doing like summer reading and math camps and then i did summer oh, wow. school and then i did internships in high school and then i did internships in college and now i work <laughs> and i do projects and all this other side stuff <laughs> oh i don't know i wouldn't say sad but you just you're, you have a really strong work ethic um what okay for people, for young people, right? Youth, like they're dead set. They're like, I want to get into Facebook or Twitter or Google. And I'm sure a lot of your interactions with the younger, like, Ebony, how did you do that? How did you get there? Um, and I would love to like touch on that. What would you say though, is alternatives to that journey? Um, because I think it's awesome to like focus on the spotlight. Like you, and I've heard this story and I'm excited for you to share a little bit on like how you got there. But just the reality of it is probability statistically wise, there's so many people, there's such a large volume of people applying to these big firms that the odds are you're not going to get it. I'm not trying to be a dream crusher right now, but like, what, what are some cool alternatives that you've even heard of? Or you, you like, you know, you started your own company. Like, yeah. I'd love for you to just riff on that. Oh, I love that question. Okay. So yeah, no, I think entrepreneurship is one of the best pathways to finding success from your own heart. Because the whole time you're having to kind of like, honestly, a lot of time I was redefining success. So it's like, mm. um, and accepting failure and deciding who you are and who you want to be and who you want to be around. Because when you're an entrepreneur, and especially when you're the CEO, go for CEOs, you get to decide who's on your team. And like, yeah, there's tough moments. Like I remember the first time I had to fire someone, I literally, like I cried beforehand. I cried oh my after. Gosh. But it was like, but nonetheless, it's like you get to own what your circle looks like more so than I feel like sometimes in other facets of life. So entrepreneurship is a great option. Um, I also encourage people, there's a ton of international grants and um, you know, there's a lot of programs. And I remember, I'll find the name, but there's a big VC out in Silicon Valley who literally, and if you if you show that you got accepted to a college and you're choosing still to go an entrepreneur, like the entrepreneurial route, they'll fund you for like two to three years. 
and like yeah and it's pretty awesome and I almost did it my parents that's the one thing my parents were like no Ebony you're getting your degree and I was like ah okay all right but um so there's like entrepreneurship for one and then mm, I I really respect the academia route especially for people from disenfranchised or minority groups and underrepresented groups Mm. because like I have a friend who is Hispanic from Honduras and she works in a biogenetics research and she's the only Hispanic like when she goes to conferences she's like usually the only Hispanic woman and one of the only Hispanic people for miles in the conference and when she speaks it adds such a different flavor and perspective and it's just not there at this point in academia like we talk about it but at the end of the day a lot of our stuff is based on research and if our research only if our researchers only look one way but our research has to go to everybody there's a disconnect there and I think there's a lot of people who have the talent who are pursuing these big tech jobs who could fill those that those those gaps and make it a better world for all of us in a much more immediate way. Mm. I think that's probably the way I think that's where the future of work recruiting is probably headed. Um, because people are starting to realize that there's all these other gaps. Because I don't know if you read, and I could be butchering the author's name. Um, this is so bad because she's a big deal, but I think she wasn't Cheryl Sandberg. Is that who it is? It is. Wrote, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she wrote a book. It was like the gig economy, like the gig, gig economy, passion economy, shared economy, something like that. I, I, I've, I've never read it. I'm, it's on my list of many books, but I think because we've shifted from, you know, gig to passion and we're eventually going to keep shifting. It's revealing all these different voids, like yeah. in culture, in cultural roles. Like, I think it's awesome make hires for people who can execute like yeah i need someone that can code i need someone that can market i need someone who's good at sales but then there's this completely other side of the the coin which is just any people who can like be resilient in type chaos i need people that can help uh create fun events for the team to de-stress i need someone that can engage with customers in a really beautiful way that is not salesy not support way but just someone that's just there along with them on the journey. I I don't know what that word, you know, what that role would be just, but that is so, so huge. And I think that's where future work recruiting is going to head to with more of the emotional intelligence assessment side, because we've been, it's so focused on skills. Like, Hey, in your interview, let's see what you can do this. Or like, tell me about why you want to work here. It's like, I I need one, I need a job. So like, I don't even know why you're asking me that question, but you know, I think it's a line along the line. So that's super sweet that you touched on that. Um, yeah. I love I love the part that you said around flavor, um, because you're to tie it back to cuisine and global, um, global cuisine and surrounding yourself with diverse things. You little people, very little few people would know this, but you're the new art commissioner, uh, in Boulder, and just talk to me about how that experience has been. What have you been exposed to? You recently went to an art walk. What is that? And then. Just how that journey, you know, how that role has been for you. Oh yeah, to- ah, Amar, you're so funny. Also, okay, so totally to that. And then the one other thing I would add to the conversation before is, you know, Good. exactly what you mentioned about the skills focus. I mm. fa- I feel like I so much resonate with what you said, particularly because of the different ways that we're maneuvering on a global scale. Like for example, the very large consulting company called McKinsey, they are actually, I remember back in um, 2018, they were running, I believe it was a pilot at that time, a pilot program with Singapore public schools to teach them specific uh, skills based on McKinsey research. And I'm like, that's terrifying. Like I want our kids to learn about philosophy. I want them to learn about, you know, ethics, sustainability, but probably, I mean, I don't know McKinsey's curriculum, but I have to guess that it probably was more like data-based and, you know, software engineering. I mean, those things are critical, but I don't know. It's a scary world when we only think about skills and we'd stop thinking about heart and soul. So Mm. that's, that's just something that I noticed uh, when I was in Singapore and it terrified me, but uh, great for, I do like Singapore and I do like McKinsey, but I just had to throw that out there. That was terrifying. But um, well, it's, it's funny now you're we'll just let's pause on the thing that the question we were going to go to but okay. it's funny you brought up McKinsey because the future of work study on was the one that was published by McKinsey that I read um that I was you know basing this entire conversation on so that's funny that you're saying oh this is some weird clones being made or something we're like turning kids into robots um oh that's controversial 
Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, what, maybe we, I think maybe I jumped this part. I guess I did say that we would tell the listeners a little bit about just the, some tips on how you got into Google. What would you say like a, a few that, not like the ones that you can Google on Google, like what are some that really helped you that were just uncommon? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess I can go a little bit into, I, I totally forgot your question earlier, like how did you get, like I talked about Emory, I talked about Emory, then I like completely skipped the word out of Google. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. I think it's great that we forgot about it because that just, <laughs> that just, it mirrors who you are in person, like you don't talk about it, sweet. I love oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so to just kind of answer your question in the story, um, I remember my freshman year. Yeah, I think it was my freshman year. Uh, or my sophomore year, freshman year, sophomore year of college, a Google recruiter was coming on campus. And I remember just thinking I really liked their colors. And I wasn't, I wasn't even necessarily interested in working in tech. I was like, you know, I like a company that has color. And like, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'll go to their um intro, their in info session. And everyone else wore jeans and t-shirts. And I, and I wore like my my best little business girl suit with her little briefcase. It was adorable. <laughs> um, and as soon as I walked in, I was horrified. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm way overdressed. I'm disgusting. Let me leave. But unfortunately, I started, so I couldn't leave. Um, and then after this info session, the recruiter came up to me and said, you're the only person who dressed up. Put time on my calendar. Here's my card. I want to actually talk to you. And I remember that was shocking. And I think the tip there is do be yourself like I, I overdress it's a thing uh do it if it's you and then also don't be afraid to put your best forward, foot forward and don't be afraid to play it too cool um I mm. think she respected the fact that I respected the opportunity and then um moving forward she told me about different programs I could apply to and I'd say another big part of getting into Google was being willing to work really hard and being willing to say what's actually on your mind as opposed to what you think they want to hear because i'd say that a lot of google interviewers and a lot of google recruiters are really smart people and so mm. they, they can smell bs from afar so um and i and i did a ton of research on people i feel like that was a big thing is i'd creep on people's linkedin their twitter their facebook their grandma's uh post <laughs> and paper from 1947 i looked at it and i know what grandma's into and like i'd have that and i came in really confident into every conversation because i really knew my subject and um so preparation, research, and I'm thinking if there's one more. Yeah, just authenticity. Um, I think mm. that's been the, my favorite Googlers are people who are 100% themselves. So some people are so sassy and like, oh, they will just say the wildest things at work. And then other people are just like so dry, but that's their real personality. And I'm grateful that they're sharing it with me. That's awesome. I, I love the part that you shared on just both. Uh, like, I mean, they all tie really well together because it's important to know your subject. I mean, you shouldn't take an opportunity when you have the chance to meet with a recruiter lightly because you might strike them as the person that they've just been looking for. But if you don't put any effort into yourself or learning anything about them outside of just the company, like hier like hierarchy or just like, you know, the, the mission of the company, it it's surface level, that relationship's so surface level. And so by you dressing up, standing out from the crowd you know researching your subject and looking on twitter and then just being your and you know being willing to you know what i'm just gonna speak or say i don't know here because rather than bs them because that just shows that you are okay with not knowing everything you know that's that's awesome that's sweet i i but yeah talk to us just real quick um because i know we're limited on time just yeah how's the art commissioner world been like what is that how did you get that and yeah yeah, totally. Um, it's been really exciting. I really enjoy serving my city in this way. I remember the first time I volunteered, I think I was seven and my grandpa took me to Habitat for Humanity and he put a hammer in my hand. And I was like, grandpa, wow. what's this? And he was like, don't worry about it. Follow everyone else. My grandpa's real chill. Um, so like ever since I've like been very young, I really have a heart for service. So it's been really mm -hmm. exciting to serve my city in this way. And it's been really gratifying get to, getting to know more artists in the community because I feel like certain art artists and art communities have been underserved not only at the local level but at the federal level because they're just not considered artists so for example mm. magazine producers and you know editors of online blogs and newsletters they're not always included in the grant proposals and the the outreach for different programs and 
I feel like as a person, like I'm an author and I've written both nonfiction and fiction. And, you know, both of those are considered art projects, but I'm also a full-time Googler and a black woman in Boulder and like all those different things layer on to each other. And I'm not exactly who they would be outreached to. And I, so that's a big thing for me is making sure I'm reaching out to anyone who maybe doesn't feel as served or doesn't feel as, as included and just making it as accessible as possible to everyone in Boulder. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And you're doing an amazing job of that. I mean, we were just briefly sitting the other day at, in front of the library and we were conversing with one of my friends and you just said, apply for the grant. I'm just in the gun. What? Wait, what? <laughs> like, you know, you don't often get a, when you're meeting with people who are in our city chamber, you hear them saying, opportunity, talking about opportunities. Um, is it, I don't know why it doesn't come up. I don't know if there's like a barrier there, but I just love that you're transparent about it and just let's do it. <laughs> like, it's sweet. So. Oh, this is my last question. Um, and I would just love to know, you touched on legacy already. If you wanna answer it, you can. Um, but what, like, what's the legacy you wanna leave with those around you? Um, yeah, that'd be sweet. Yeah, totally. Oh, Mar, you did such a good job. Um, okay, so uh, <laughs> I think the legacy I'd love to leave around, the, for the people around me is the importance of time. So like, for example, today I was supposed to meet with someone and they asked to push it back. They first, they changed the location and then they asked to push it back by 30 minutes and it was a 30 minute meeting. And I was like, no, we can't do that. Like, like I literally have other things. And I think sometimes um, it's not even people being disrespectful of time necessarily, but just not valuing it as much as we should. And mm. none of us know if we're gonna wake up tomorrow. This could be everyone's last. Also the dinosaurs left. They didn't know what was gonna happen the next day. No, like, <laughs> honestly, anything could happen. So I think it's just really respecting um, respecting your own time, respecting my time, and just uh, sharing that the legacy of I value my time, I value your time, and I value the time we have together. So let's make the most of it. That's sweet. I love that. That's just powerful because I think so many of us, we take for granted when someone reaches out and just says, let's grab coffee or, you know, they're just minor things, right? Um, or even 15 minutes to catch up over Zoom and you show up six minutes late or something someone's carving out part of their day time is so limited and then even just the gesture of going to coffee like there's there's such a power in meeting with people and and and, and not being distracted by these little yeah. things in our, our pockets all the time to be fully you know in the zone and I have I could have like 20 tabs open right now I, I like shut down slack I shut down everything I was like I just gotta like focus on Ebony her story and try to like learn who she is and so yeah it's been a privilege and I think that's a sweet answer to that question Oh, yay. I can't wait to see you again, <laughs> Uh Likewise. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. And Ebony, uh, I'm excited to see what life change comes out of this. Yes, thank you. Oh, one thing. If anyone wants to learn even more about my journey, please check out bit.ly backslash Wonderstars book. And that's bit.ly Wonderstars book. That's where you can find my book on Amazon. Yay. Yes, 100%. And go do that. Uh, and is there any other social media, LinkedIn, like where people can support you or even connect with you if they want to like follow up? Yeah, if you just want to find me on LinkedIn, I'm um, linkedin.com backslash Ebony Freeman. So I literally just put my name, kind of be straightforward. And then if you just look up Wonder Stars of the Universe Ebony, you'll find more of my content floating around the internet. <laughs> Amazing, sweet. Go connect with her. She's awesome. Uh, thank you so much. Have an awesome one. Peace. Thank you.